This Saturday afternoon at 4 is Nat's Prom, the weird Nat-centric party that you never knew that you needed. Come hang out at Walters with all of your social media and real-life Nat's friends while we watch the boys take on the Giants later Saturday night. Walters is showing UFC 264 featuring Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Sunday, we have the Euro Final. Make your weekend plans at Walters now. Walters is open until 2 a.m. This week, you and some friends can watch the Nats out west at Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nationals out into the Padres 9-1. to Here's the 1-0. Cracked in the air to deep center field. Way back goes Grisham. Way back toward the wall, and this one's gone. It clears just to the left of the 396 mark. It's a multi-homer game for Trey Turner. Home run number 17 for the All-Star Turner. Nationals 8, Padres nothing. The 1-2. Line drive, deep right field. It's a grand slam. Are you kidding me? Nationals 8, Padres 6. It is Bedlam out there in San Diego. I am speechless. 3-1. Swing a line drive center field. Robles racing back. This one's deep. It's over his head and one up off the wall. This game is tied. The 3-2. Swung on line drive. Base hit right field. Here comes Fan to score. The Padres win it 9-8. A game-winning walk-off line drive single right by Trent Christian. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, July 9th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we are together in good times and in bad, and on this installment of the podcast, it is a bad time. Perhaps it was the worst loss of the national season so far. The Nats blowing an 8-0 fourth inning lead, a 9-8 loss at the San Diego Padres for a four-game split in the series. The Nats' win expectancy per fan graphs when Trey Turner hit his second home run of the game was 98.5%, 98.5%, and yet the Nats end up losing the game. There is a ton to get into with this game. But Mark, my friend, that was a gut punch. I've never quite seen one like that, Al. I've seen them blow even bigger leads. There was a 9 nothing lead they blew to the Braves back in 2012. But the context of this one, up 8 nothing, having knocked out Hugh Darvish with Max Scherzer on the mound. And it's not just that Max was on the mound. 
But his first three innings in this game, I thought were the best three innings he's thrown all year. He looked like he could throw a no-hitter tonight, the way he was going against that lineup. And for it to fall apart that quickly, usually a comeback like that, they sort of chip away over the course of a game and they, they finally get there in the end. No, I mean, they basically got it all back in the fourth. They got seven. They were one away. But I don't think I've ever seen it come apart that quickly in one inning at that point in the game against somebody who looked as good as Max did. It is truly shocking. We haven't even gotten to the four runs that came on one swing of the bat from somebody none of us had ever heard of before and never expected to do what he did. Max Scherzer was atrocious in that fourth inning, and we're going to get to that. There are many reasons that the Nats blew this game. What you just said reminds me, though, the great line by Ron Burgundy, the anchorman, right? Boy, uh, that unraveled quickly. That came apart very fast. It did. It did in this game. But Scherzer was a mess. The Nats offense, which was great early in the game, was not very good as the game went on. I would like, though, to get into what happened in the bottom of the ninth inning. And I am sympathetic to Davey Martinez. He is having to use his bullpen way too much these days. And it is a bullpen that has not been at full strength for so much of this recent portion of the season. But I cannot stand what Davey did in that bottom of the ninth inning, bringing in Sam Clay and not Brad Hand with the game tied at eight and with the Padres' top three batters coming up to bat. This was not starting the inning with Sam Clay with the Padres' numbers 7, 8, and 9 hitters due up. This was starting the inning with Sam Clay, with the Padres' numbers 1, 2, and 3 hitters coming up. I didn't like this from the get-go, never mind that the decision did not work out. And look, it's not like Sam Clay gave up you know, a homer or gave up back-to-back doubles. He gave up a leadoff single to Tommy Pham, a two-out intentional walk to Manny Machado, and a two-out full-count walk-off single to Trent Grisham, of all people. So I understand that Clay didn't necessarily get tattooed, but that's not the point. He's not your best reliever. It's not even a conversation. Brad Hand is your best reliever. And I'm sure that Davey had his reasons for doing this. Davey's a good manager. He's obviously a World Series winning manager. But this, to me, is the classic thing that we've seen many times over the years with managers where they save their ace reliever for a spot that never comes up. I'm sure Davey was thinking, well, you know, I want to pitch Brad Hand in the 10th inning. Well, the 10th inning never came. And this is a reason, maybe not the reason, but a reason for the Nats suffering this loss. If we got the lead, uh, Brad Hand's coming in the game. If we were tied, it was Clay. You know, for me, that's kind of a no-brainer, you know, playing on the road. So we're hoping that Clay can get us through that inning. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. We got a guy on stand on second base, you know, next inning. Hopefully we score. I'm with you 100%. I didn't like the move at all. I figured that Brad Hand was going to pitch the ninth inning no matter what. As soon as they got to that point in the eighth, what's a tie game with Hudson on the mound, I'm thinking, okay, they're in actually good shape here. As crazy as this game's been, they've got their two best relievers now to go the eighth and the ninth. Hudson looked great in the eighth, and I thought that it didn't matter what the score was at that point. You're putting Brad Hand in in the ninth. And Davey called it a no-brainer to use Clay, that when you're on the road and you're tied, you save your closer for extra innings. I didn't like that in this case. I could see some games where maybe that makes some sense. Like you said, if you're facing the bottom of a team's lineup. If it's a little bit of a different type of game that got you to that point. But to me, the way this game played out, as bad as things were going, you were still in a position to to win it. And to me, there is such an emotional swing between winning this game and losing this game that you go for broke to win this one. This is the time that you put your best out there and try to win it. And if the game goes to extra innings, you figure that out when you get there. And I did not understand the decision. He's not the only one who would do this. Let's point that out. 
Probably most managers would do something similar, but I did not like putting Sam Clay into that position, especially he's a lefty and Brad Hand's a lefty. So like, it's not even just a matchup thing. Like you had a better matchup guy in your closer in in hand. So no, I didn't like it from the get-go. No, he didn't get hit all that hard, but you have a chance with your best reliever to keep this game alive and actually give your team a chance to win a game that it was on the verge of blowing a horrible lead that you had just given up. I didn't like that move at all. Davey calling this a no-brainer is so off-base. And that to me, that strikes me as Davey being defensive. Like he's trying to frame this as something that it wasn't, which was, oh, it's a slam dunk call. No, it's not. No, it's not. Brad Hand entered the game with an ERA plus of 156. Sam Clay came into the game with an ERA plus of 80. Okay, it's not close. Sam Clay has not been that good this season. He's had stretches of being good, but Hand is your guy. He's your weapon. You use your weapon. And Davey didn't do that there. This is something Dusty Baker would do. I mean, let's be honest. If Dusty did this, he'd be getting crucified right now. This is uh, shades of going to Sammy Solis when you've got a bunch of other better options in your bullpen. That's what Davey did in this game, and it ends up costing the Nats. By the way, what did you think of the complete defensive indifference by the Nats in that bottom of the ninth inning? Like, there's defensive indifference, (laughs) and then there's what we saw, which was true defensive indifference. The Nats allowing Manny Machado to, like, lightly jog to second base. Now, I understand it didn't make that much of a difference in terms of, hey, you had a runner on third. If the run scores, you lose a game. But you remove the force out at second base. I don't understand why the Nats just let Machado take second base like that. Well, and, you know, Sam Clay, his best chance of success is to induce a ground ball. Yeah. And so if he gets a ground ball to short, like in the hole at short, and maybe you're not going to get Grisham at first, but you can get the out at second and that ends the inning. Yeah, I don't love that. Again, that's another one that I think teams just kind of automatically do and maybe don't think about. Is there that much difference to holding the runner on and actually as a pitcher kind of giving a look over there, maybe even a pickoff attempt, something like that. Is there that much difference between that and then backing off? Are you increasing your chances of, of making the out? I don't know the numbers on that, but it seems to me like In a lot of cases, it's worth it just to hold him on and not just give him, not hand him that base. You know, that's not the reason they lost in the end, but there was a lot of paint by numbers approach to that ninth inning. And I don't think this was a paint by numbers situation. Go for broke, go all in and try to win that game, whatever you have to do to do that. Yeah, I mean, and Davey is better than this. We've seen him manage with urgency. We've seen him manage in a progressive way. We certainly have seen him not be shy when it comes to using relievers who he trusts. And yet in this game, for whatever reason, he ends up not doing that. But it ends up being a game in which Davey, again, has to use a bunch of relievers. And this is happening way too often. The Nats had to use five relievers in this game. And while the ultimate output from the five relievers is two runs in five innings, That, to me, is misleading. You know, this has become a disturbing thing. Nats relievers are allowing way too many inherited runners to score. We saw that in this game. Kyle Finnegan officially won in the third scoreless innings, but Finnegan in relieving Max in that seven-run fourth inning, allowing an inherited runner to score two-out ribby single by Fernando Tatis. Austin Voth officially won in the third scoreless innings, but he comes into the game two outs, bottom of the six, gives up the RBI double to the first battery faces, Tommy Pham to tie the game at eight, completing the Nats' blowing of an 8-0 fourth-inning lead. So, you know, this bullpen, it's being used too much. Starters aren't going deep enough into games. And it's one thing when the starter is John Lester or Patrick Corbin. But the fact that it was Max Scherzer in this game, 
is a jaw dropper. So much, by the way, for our pitching duel of Max Scherzer and you Darvish on Thursday night. I mean, man, did that end up being a flop. Neither guy even lasts for four innings. Max ends up giving up seven runs in three and two thirds. Like you said, he looked great. That's what's so odd about this. Three scoreless innings and then this complete shocking unraveling in a seven-run fourth inning. Leadoff homer by Fernando Tatis. One out hit by pitch of Manny Machado on a 1-2 pitch. One out single by Trent Grisham. One out hit by pitch of Eric Hosmer, despite him having been down at 1.12. The one out bases loaded walk of Will Myers, despite him having been down at 1.02. I mean, is this Gio Gonzalez or Max Scherzer pitching? And then the ultimate humiliation. And, And this is about as low as it gets. The two out grand slam by the Padres reliever, Daniel Camarena to right field on a 1-2 pitch for Camarena's first career hit. And the homer was a no-doubter, 416 projected feet per stat cast. And then Max gave up another extra base hit, a two-out double by Tommy Pham. This really was shocking to see Max come apart like this. There's a lot to unpack here. I need to go way back, though, to what you were saying. Before we get to Max, what you're talking about, the bullpen, I got to push back on the RBI single that Finnegan gave up. That was the pop-up that fell between Josh Bell and Juan Soto. Here's the 2-2. Swing and it's poked in the air, right field side. Chasing Bell, chasing Soto. Who will take it? Bell missed it. Fam scores. Tatis didn't run. He'll stop at first. It's now 8-7. Soto could have called him off, did not. Bell tried to make the over to the shoulder catch and misses the ball. And Soto needed to call him off and make that catch and end the inning right there before anything else happened. And it was almost like everything that happened from the moment Max left the game until the end of the game, we just talked about all these little things that were questioning what they were doing and they couldn't hit all of a sudden and Davies managing decisions and botch play in the field. It almost felt like they were just shell-shocked. Like they couldn't believe what had just happened with their ace on the mound. And it was like the rest of the game, they were swimming uphill. You know, they were still leading at that point, but it didn't feel like it. It almost felt like they knew that they had just blown the game. But I, I wanted to mention that one because that was a, a really atrocious play in the field and a ball that the right fielder has to call off the first baseman on. Now, let's get back to Max in the fourth inning. He said, Attention's going to be made to the grand slam and, you know, rightfully so. But for me, the way I process that inning is, you know, I had, you know, two strikes on some other batters there. Uh, specifically, you know, I wasn't able to get Machado out. You know, I wasn't able to get Hosmer out. I wasn't able to get Will Myers out. Uh, those are the bats that extend the inning that provide that opportunity. So, you know, for me, that's what I reflect upon and how I can pitch better in those situations. Hit by pitch, hit by pitch, bases loaded walk. That's what bothered him the most. He knew that that was what decided that inning and the game, his inability to finish off hitters. And again, in a very uncharacteristic way for him. I mean, his command was all over the place that inning. You know, these weren't like pitches on the border that C.B. Buckner, you know, called. And let's not even forget that C.B. Buckner had a quite a night behind the plate himself as well. But Scherzer, I've never seen him go from so on point for three innings to being so off in the fourth. There was no fluke about any of that. He lost it. And he knows that that's what caused it more so than the grand slam at the end of it all. I think someone may be missing his sticky stuff. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Uh, you know, Max, since he's come off the injured list, first of all, he had that weird deal where he wasn't lasting long into games, but he was pitching well. That's true. And then you just see him lose it in this game like this. 
Um, I don't know, man. That was strange. That was very strange. Uh, I can't remember ever seeing him unravel like that. Like we've seen him have outings where maybe he's not great, but this is something different where it just all comes apart. And, you know, I mean, I guess you say, well, the guy's a human being. He's going to, as time goes on, not be at his peak level, but he's been at a peak level for so much of the season until lately, lately things have kind of come down a little bit with him more recently with the duration But in this game, with the actual output, this was a really bad outing for Max Scherzer. Well, the only other one I can compare it to was game five of the NLDS against the Cubs when he came in out of the bullpen. And he got two quick outs, crowds all fired up, and then it just completely fell apart from there. And that was the most bizarre inning ever. It had the catcher's interference on Matt Wieters. It had the ball getting away. It had the bad call by the umpire. A crazy inning. This this was all on Max. This was not on anybody else. But to your point about the sticky stuff, I... I get it, and I know why people will say that. But here's the thing. Like we were saying, the first three innings were as good as he's looked all year. So if he was having trouble gripping the ball, how was he so locked in? Five strikeouts of the first 10 batters he faced against a really good lineup. 46 pitches to get through three scoreless. How did it go from that to complete meltdown in the fourth if he was having trouble gripping the ball all along? Now, I don't know. Maybe as the night goes on, your hand gets slippery or something and the grip changes. Maybe there is something to that. But if it was from start to finish like that, I would say, yeah, I think there's something there. But he was so good for three innings that it's hard for me to think that that's the reason it fell apart in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe his mechanics got out of whack and the sticky stuff could have helped him. Maybe I haven't looked at the velocity. I don't know if his velocity went down to any degree as as the outing went on. I don't know. It's just something to think about. But that's a peculiar bird that we saw on Thursday night. Max coming apart the way that he did. And these days with the Nationals rotation, especially with the Joe Ross news, I mean, I know it's not anticipated that he's going to be on the 10-day injured list long, but he is on the 10-day IL. If you don't get a great outing from Max, you're not sure what to expect with the rotation right now. I mean, we all like the season Eric Fetty's had, but it's not like he's coming off a great outing. Lester's a mess. Corbin's been a mess. So you need Max to be great. I mean, it's a high bar, but we know it's a bar he can reach, and he was not at that level on Thursday night. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Long pause, the kick of the pitch. Fastball, line drive, base hit, center field. Soto scores from third. Castro on his way. He will come in to score as Grisham bobbles the ball. On at first with a single to center. Two runs batted in is Jan Gomes. And it's the Nationals three and the Padres nothing. The shame of all of this is that the Nationals offense was outstanding in this series and was great again on Thursday night. The Nats in this series at the Padres, even without Kyle Schwarber, even at a notorious pitcher's park in Petco Park, even in facing a team of the Padres that pitches well and catches the ball well, at least supposedly, the Nats over the four games total 34 runs. I mean, what a job by the Nationals offensively. And isn't it something, the Nats offense, which didn't seem to do much over the four-game sweep against the Dodgers, four games all missed by Trey Turner, you get Trey back for this series. He starts all four games as your shortstop, your number two batter. And Trey Turner ends up being, in a lot of ways, it feels like anyway, the difference in this series. Big game on Thursday night, three for five with two homers and a single. He ends up going in the series seven of 19 with three homers, four singles, and a walk. He's far from the only guy who did well in this series. But to see Turner you know, hit that solo shot to left off you Darvish in the three-run first, then add another homer, the one-out two-run shot to basically dead center off Camarena for the 8 nothing Nats lead in the top of the fourth inning. Trey's locked in right now, and off having been in the midst of a homer drought, he's hit a number of home runs here lately. So I was on the pregame show on Masson with our friend Dan Kolko, and one of the questions he asked was, who would I give my first half MVP award to? And I said, obviously Schwarber, what he did for those three weeks was incredibly important to the Nationals. He almost single-handedly brought them back from nine games under to the 500 mark. But that was three weeks. So I said, who's been there every day along the way and providing for you at the plate, in the field, on the bases, everything? And that's Trey Turner. And I don't think it's coincidence that the four games he missed are the four games they looked so awful against the Dodgers. Yes, there was other stuff going on. They had all kinds of other roster issues. But think back to 2019. We've made this point as well. When he was out, that's when the season fell apart. And when the resurgence began from 19 to 31, it happened only days after he came back from his finger injury. Then he makes the Nationals go probably more than anybody else, more than Juan Soto, more than Kyle Schwarber or that. He is so important to them. And boy, how uplifting is it to see that he could have that kind of series after what we were worried might be a little bit of a scary injury. And he didn't miss a beat at all. He is on a roll right now. And it's unfortunate that that didn't lead to a win because that kind of performance is the kind that should have led to a win. Yeah, had a stolen base, had a first pitch leadoff single. All of that coming in that Nationals three-run third inning. Juan Soto got on base four times on Thursday night. Two singles, two walks. He was Soto shuffling like crazy with that two-out six-pitch walk off the X-Nat. Mark Melanson 
in the top of the ninth inning. Great plate appearance, too, for Soto in that spot. He was down 0-2, ends up working the count full and then drawing the walk. Soto is in a good place right now. Two homers in the series, four singles, four walks in the series for Soto as well. Josh Bell remains locked in. One-out RBI double on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats' three-run third. And yet another instance of Josh Bell in a two-strike count coming through. Our guy, Starling Castro, with another big game on Thursday night. Two for three with a double and a single. Castro, you know, you talk about being locked in. Castro in this series, seven of 17. Three doubles, four singles, and a walk. Yadon Gomes had a good series and another good game. Two-out, two-run single in the three-run first. Josh Harrison, good series, another good game. Two-out ribby single on an 0-2 pitch in the Nats' three-run third. Alcides Escobar, again, in a plate appearance in which he's down. I brought this up the other day. He was down 0-2 in the two-run fourth. Ends up working that plate appearance to where he gets a one-out single. There's a lot to like here with this Nationals offense. And that just, to me, it's like it's a real shame. I mean, a four-game split at the Padres is nothing to be going home and, and saying, oh, my God, what just happened here? Like, I think we all would have taken that. But, of course, it's how this game four ends that really strikes you. But the offense held up its end of the bargain. And I I do want to emphasize that. The offense was great in this series. Yeah, and I think there's reason to believe that that can continue. I don't think this is a fluke just for a couple of days. Things working. We know Trey Turner's a great hitter. We know Juan Soto can be a great hitter. Josh Bell has been hot for two months. Castro has been hot for about three weeks. Gomes has been delivering in big spots. He did it again in the first inning. Harrison has been solid all along. So yeah, I mean, I think this is sustainable. Here's the crazy thing about this series, Al. In three of those four games, they took early leads of 5-0, 8-0, and 10-0. And twice, they blew that lead. Remember, they were up 5-0 in the John Lester game. He gave it up. Now, they came back and won, so that didn't cost them in the end. Then the blowout on Wednesday when they're up 10-0 and end up winning 15-5. And now this one up 8-0 that they end up losing 9-8. To score early like that off some pretty decent pitching, you Darvish. They didn't just take out anybody in this game. They took out an all-star in you Darvish. I'm actually really encouraged by all that. And I can't believe that I'm saying this because I don't think a couple of weeks ago we would have even fathomed this idea. But right now, they just need to get their pitching in order because they're scoring runs. And that's not the reason they're losing games. They just need to get the pitching back on track. They do. And they've got to figure out a way to not have to lean on this bullpen so much. And I don't know if that's realistic or not, but the bullpen, which we all liked early in the season, I think we've seen what it is, which is it's a bullpen. Like there are some guys you like, but these are not guys who should be called upon as often as they're being called upon. I brought up the inherited runner situation. Your point is well taken about that specific defensive play. But if you go through the specifics of this series, I mean, the other loss in this series, 7-4 on Tuesday night, Sam Clay allowed two inherited runners to score in that game. You go back to game one of this series, Kyle McGowan allowed an inherited runner to score. Like, they're having issues right now. Like, it's you can't just go by the overall bullpen ERA or anything like that. And for, for Davey not to use his best guy in that ninth inning on Thursday night, you're like, Davey, dude. What were you thinking in doing that? I really hope Davey, in his heart of hearts, doesn't think this was a no-brainer. I hope he's at least evaluating this internally of like, you know what? I should have gone to Brad Hand, and the next time I will go to Brad Hand. I I hope there is that like self-reflection going on with Davey right now. And what's weird, like you said, is it's not like he hasn't done that kind of thing before. Right. We've seen him manage a bullpen aggressively, and not just in the playoffs. He's done it in the past. I mean, how many times this year has he used Hand or Hudson for more than one inning? And had no qualms about doing that in a game that he's trying to win. So that's what kind of baffles me about it is that it's not like this is his standard move to do what he did. This is actually a little bit out of character for him to do that. 
I don't know, maybe he was just still shell-shocked himself and said what he felt like in the moment. But I think it can be a good bullpen if you can have more games where you only have to use, say, Hudson Hand and one other guy. We talked about this during their hot streak in June. Why was the bullpen so great? Because the rotation was so good. They go hand in hand. When your starter goes six or seven, now he can use the guys he wants in the right spots, not overwork anybody. But when you are consistently having to scramble and bring in Kyle Finnegan in the fourth inning, it just has a domino effect on everything else. And so there's no way you're getting through this game with having to ask guys like Suero and Voth and ultimately Clay to pitch at some point. So you get six or seven from your starter. I think they have three guys they can trust, at least if not more than that at times, but they just need to get into that position more often than not. And you would have thought that Max Scherzer on the mound was as likely a spot as ever to get that from your starter. So strange what ended up happening with Max. One other thing from this game, Victor Robles, again, has a bad offensive game, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts, but he twice more robs Jake Cronenworth. Both turns, kicks, and pitches. And a line drive center field, chasing in his Robles, dives again, and he robs him again. The third time in the series, Cronenworth has been robbed by Victor Robles. This was something else in the series. Victor Robles three times made great defensive plays. Each time, robbed Jake Cronenworth of a hit. The two instances on Thursday night, diving backhanded catch in shallow left center to rob Cronenworth of a hit for the third out in the bottom of the first. And then maybe the best play Robles made the entire series, a diving forward underhanded catch of a Cronenworth liner in shallow center for the first out in the bottom of the seventh inning. You also had in that 7-4 loss on Tuesday night, a spectacular diving backhanded catch in the left center field gap by Robles to rob Cronenworth of a hit. We all know Victor's been a bad batter this season, but we've acknowledged he's done very well defensively again this year. And what an exhibition from Victor in this series. And to rob the same guy three times of a hit, you don't see that off. No, that was nuts. I agree with you. I thought the third one was the best of him because as you're coming in for that ball, you watch it, you're thinking, oh, he must have trapped it. There's no way he actually got the glove under it. And then you see the replay and be like, wow, he actually got the glove. I mean, it never touched a blade of grass. He got the glove all the way underneath it. That is so hard to do and to hold on to the ball at the end of all that. He has returned to being an elite gold glove caliber center fielder. And that's the reason he's in the lineup every day. It's not for what he's doing offensively. And when the rest of the team is hitting as well as they are, you can afford this now. In the long run, you can't assume that the lineup's going to be that good. And you do have to be able to deliver at least somewhat at the plate yourself. But for now, they can live with it because he has been fantastic in center field. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Well, next up for the Nationals off this brutal loss on Thursday night is a three-game series at the best team in baseball. So the hits just keep on coming here. Nationals at the San Francisco Giants. Game one Friday night, games two and three on the afternoons this weekend of Saturday and Sunday. All of the talk about Paolo Espino, John Lester, who's going to stay in the rotation. It is amazing how often in baseball these things work themselves out as the cliche goes. Paolo is going to start on Friday night as Joe Ross is on the 10-day injured list, and that's putting him on that on Thursday, a retroactive 
to Wednesday with right elbow inflammation. The corresponding roster move is the Nats recalling reliever Ryan Harper. Also with this upcoming series at the Giants is a TBA starter for Saturday, which in theory would be John Lester's day. So what is the deal with Ross in this injury and what's the status of Lester for Saturday? So with Ross, now remember how, and we've mentioned this before, that Davey has been kind of hinting that because he opted out of last season that they were going to have to watch his workload and that there may come a time this year that they were going to actually shut him down for a little bit. So when I heard the news, that was my first thought, is that maybe it's a situation like that. Now, it turns out Davey's saying that's not the case. He did in the bullpen on Wednesday of his between-start session, felt some tightness in his forearm. They had him checked out. The doctor said it's nothing serious, but there is an inflammation in the elbow. So I think it's a little bit of both here. They weren't planning to do this. They wanted him to pitch this weekend. But once they saw that there was something wrong, even if it was minor, they said, let's use this opportunity to buy him some time here. You have the all-star break. You can put him on the 10-day IL. He probably misses one start, save some innings up for later on, and then activate him again coming out of the break. So my guess is that that's what's going to happen. Obviously, we'll see coming out of the break how he is. So I don't think this is anything to be that alarmed by. They're also in a good position now because Fetty came off the IL this week that they essentially had six starters. So they have three who can pitch this weekend on normal rest, and that's Espino on Friday, Lester on Saturday, and Fetty on Sunday. In Lester's case, he was going to start Sunday all along. Doesn't sound like they were talking about skipping him over like we suggested the other day. He was going to pitch Sunday. Once the Joe Ross injury happens, they say to Lester, hey, can you go throw in the bullpen a day early, make sure you're fine, and then we'll schedule you for Saturday. So he went and did that. We didn't get official word after the game how that went. There were a few other things going on at the end of this game to think about asking about that. But my sense is that there's no reason to think anything changed there. So I think we will see Lester on Saturday. All right. Well, this is another big series for the Nats. Look, they're 42 and 44. I mean, the season is not over or anything like that. It just stunk to see them lose like this on Thursday night because to win three or four at the Padres would have been glorious, especially with the way the bats came alive in this series. But a chance to redeem themselves, three games at the Giants, Espino, Lester probably, and then Fetty. The secret weapon will be on display on Friday night. Get your t-shirt now by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. We'll see if the secret weapon can redeem himself for a less than secret weapon caliber outing last Saturday night. Although it's not like he was terrible, but it's just, you know, it's not what we're used to from our guy. Uh, Again, natschatpodcast.square.site. Let us know what you think. This was a brutal loss on Thursday, no doubt. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Like I said, in good times and in bad, we are together on this podcast. It's great to have you with us. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.